Hey everybody, welcome to a new series which we call UA Coffee Talk. And so I've got two industry luminaries with me, uh, Nebo and John. But uh, we're going to talk about specific user acquisition topics uh, in this segment. So I thought we could first start with introductions. So Nebo, just really briefly, a little bit about you and uh, kind of your background. Uh, cool, yeah. Uh, Nebo from Network. That's my artist name. I'm currently part of the UA platform team, which basically builds tools and provides services for first and third party games and network. I was running the marketing team for two and a half years and we're known for the game Legendary Game of Heroes. For that, I used to work in Machine Zone in Nordius, uh, also mobile marketing and user acquisition. Hi, I'm John Lau. I, I don't think I have an artist name, but every company I've worked for, I've always been company name and then John. So yeah. when I was at Supersonic, I used to be Supersonic John, then Play Studios John. Snow John never picked up. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I'm just John. I like Supersonic John. Yeah, I, I love that yeah. name. Um, yeah. But I used to uh, run UA at Play Studios and did a short stint at Snow. Now I do programmatic growth at uh, DraftKings. Great. So the first topic I thought we could talk about is creatives. And so there's been this kind of popular theme that creatives in terms of user acquisition is becoming more and more important. But I thought we could probably first start by talking about why is this trend happening? Why why is creatives becoming more important? And maybe t telling the audience a little bit more about the impact of, for example, Facebook and Google UAC in terms of making creatives more important. So I don't know, either you guys want to first talk about that background? I, I, I can talk a little bit about my philosophy around yeah kind of how creative kind of fits in like i've always looked at paid marketing there's only three levers we have there's there's the bid and budget so essentially the dollar that we could put uh to bear um then there's the targeting or segmentation and then the third piece is the creative and i think they're all equally important okay the thing that we can always control is the bid and budget how much money we want to commit how much we want to bid how we, you know that we can always control Targeting, you know, with the ability today to do all types of lookalike targeting or pulling first party, second party, third party data, like that is readily available. I think the third piece, the creative piece, is a piece that a lot of companies, I wouldn't say struggle, but there's seems to be a disconnect. I've met UA peers in the industry that says, like, hey, I haven't touched creatives. It's not my thing. I'm not a creative person. And I think fundamentally, like, you should be, right? If you're a marketer in the space and those are the three levers you have. You should be very well versed or at least very invested in figuring out what creatives work and for what reasons. Uh, and I, we don't have to go like super meta and go into like, oh, it worked because this button is green versus, you know, a blue button, you know, but more so like what are the concepts? And I think a UA individual should be, even if you're not the artist, work very closely with the artist uh, or the creative team to understand like, okay, where are you showing this ad, what is the user flow? So this is about educating the creative team so that they can produce placements or assets that will likely have a better shot than just saying, oh, I'm just gonna take my Facebook creative and run it everywhere. Yeah. I'm just gonna move like a few steps back to explain what are the changes that happened in the industry that led to this. And, and John is absolutely right, you pretty much have you have two and a half levers, levers right now. It's basically bid and budget, creative, and targeting. And targeting is becoming less and less important. Google, you can barely target people, except for like you know geo and and platform. So so 
we ended up here by coming from uh, one very complex place, which was the UA in, in like 2012, 2013. So buying on Facebook, for example, was all about you know finding the right audience, finding the right keywords, finding the right interests, and then combining them with like different optimization models, figuring out whether you should do manual bids or auto bids. So it was like slightly more complicated, or it was actually quite more complicated <laughs> to do UA in terms of the operational part of work. You just had to try a lot of different things and try to figure out what's gonna what's working, what's not working. In that sense, it was a little harder to do UA, but it was uh, it was at the same time the companies that were really good at UA they really knew how to leverage that particular right. skill. So with with machine learning becoming like a thing and you know the entire Silicon Valley talks about machine learning all the time. You know, my dishwasher is, has like an AI module now. Or, you know, the, the, it, it's it's a thing everybody talks about. You know, UA picked up as well, and and basically what's happening is UA is getting simpler, and as a result of that, there's a fewer levers uh, that we can uh, work with. So basically, that's how we got here. And if you have only three things that you can change, or two and a half things that you can change, you really need to know to understand each one of these in order to do. UA well. So, but would you guys, in terms of those two and a half or three things, do you guys think that the biggest opportunity to make a yeah. difference is in creative, or would you say it's equal? It is today. That's changed. The importance, I mean, they're all equally important, but the, the focus of it on creative today yeah. is, is much more, yeah. I guess, pronounced, uh, more so to, you know, Nebo's point where. Back in the day, the targeting piece was very, very important because you had to do so much operational legwork, right? This is the days before VO, main row ads, or even like AEO, right? Yeah, like exactly. You have to go on power editor and like every line item. Yeah. So like that, you don't have, you didn't have the bandwidth to really focus on the creative because the targeting piece was so important, right? But now that you have either the, the Google version where you can't even target or you have the Facebook version where we just upload a, a yeah. list of device IDs and boom, you're done, right? It's also with yeah. VO, you have to target super broad audiences, like three to five million right. people right. Right. with an audience, which means that you're pretty much targeting everyone or like all the payers out there or old whales. So that's why it's not as uh, it's not as important. I mean, it's obviously important, but it's not as, as big of a factor in, in the UA world right now. Um, I guess it's more so like the first two levers, the targeting piece and the budget piece, yeah. has been so, I, to a point where it's so uh, easy to actually manage yeah. uh, from a technological standpoint yeah. that the creative piece has now become much more pronounced in, in the spotlight because that's still the piece that people haven't really figured out. Now, let's talk about how it, then, if creatives is this important, so how do different companies come up with these creatives? And arguably, is the UA manager the best person to come up with the ideas? Or can you guys talk about how do, at different companies, where's the source for the ideas to come up with creatives? What does that process kind of look like? Yeah. I think it's important to mention that there are no right or wrong ideas. That's another kind of stigma from past it's that, you know, brand marketers need to come up with with uh, different creative ideas and then develop them. And then what happens is companies would spend you know, tens of thousands of dollars or like hundreds of thousands of dollars on super expensive creatives yeah. that don't perform. So currently a network, you know, everybody's really helping out. We have a, a marketing art inspiration Slack channel uh -huh. and anyone in the company can contribute, right? If you have some yeah. ideas, if you see some cool, cool ads out there and you want to 
try something similar for legendary, right. that's definitely an option. The other thing that we're doing, we're like look at competitors, obviously. Uh, there is Facebook ad library, which is available to everyone. It's free. Uh, Sensor Tower at Penny provide really great tools for uh, sourcing uh, competitor creative. You know, there's like, quite a few places out there where you can look at what the competitor competition is doing and try to replicate some of that. Yeah, John, did you have a similar approach or anything else? I, I, yes, I think it really depends on the UA person. I think it's a collaboration between like the, the, the marketer and the creative team to figure it out. So, for example, I like to be a little bit more involved in the creative process because I love coming up with new ideas to test different things. Right. I have peers that don't. But I think at bare minimum, it is our job to do the education piece, right? So. Yeah. In my past job, like uh, Play Studios, for example, I used to say, you know, hey, it's not my job to come up with the concepts. Like, creative team, go figure it out. And they'll create something that is completely unfitted for where I'm running it. Yeah. And then I point the finger and chastise them, and I don't think that's fair. And I feel like, at the minimum, I need to walk through the creative uh, team and say, hey, this is where the ad will go. This is what the mindset of the user, right? If you're on Facebook, you're more discovering content mode versus, like, I am going to this specific website to look for something very, very specific. So you need a different kind of like gimmick to get them to pay attention. Um, so right now at DraftKings is really working very closely with our creative team and helping them understand like, hey, look, programmatic, this is an idea. Here, let me give you an idea where this will actually run so that you can come up with an idea that will actually get this flow. And that's where the conversation yeah. needs to happen. You can't silo these things. I think you and I have talked about how product and UA cannot be siloed. Right. Same thing with creative. So it sounds like if, if I were to summarize from a creative sourcing perspective, there's like the brainstorming approach where people just throw in ideas. There's secondly using a tool like a sensor tower to look at competitive ads and things like that. And then maybe the one other approach that I've seen that I thought was interesting is more of a hypothesis driven approach. I don't know if you guys have seen that as well, but like, let's say there's like an ARPG, then you would try to hypothesize why is a player coming into this game? You know, is it for RPG upgrading? So then you'd have themes it's, it's for RPG upgrading or it's for like, let's say for a game like Archero, it's because they like that roguelike aspect or it's because, you know, they want to destroy a lot of monsters and you have a specific theme and then you create a bunch of creatives around each of those themes and try it out. So that's like the one other approach I've seen. How would you, how would you prove out your hypothesis? You, you test. Spend money. Yeah. Spend money, sit and, Burn. you know, check whether it's, you know, IP I'm, I'm or just CPL. saying like, how do you, how do you isolate that variable in a test environment? Like, let's say if oh, someone wants to come because they want to do, they care more about the upgrade. Yeah, I think that's, I don't think you can. It's more than art. <laughs> it's like, so if, like, let's say it's a Diablo-like game, yeah. and you, you, so you just create a bunch of creatives around the RPG aspect, like uh -huh. emphasizing that aspect yeah. and just try it out. But mm -hmm. it's more of an idea. Yeah. You, but you can't really say yeah, that's yeah. the reason, right? Yeah, we, we actually do that. We, we Because Legendary is... A match three puzzle RPG game. It's same side. At the same time, it's like a you know a card collector. So basically, there's a lot of different aspects of the game, and we mm -hmm. test those all the time. Just like show cards, or right. just show match three, or just show the monsters, or the, the heroes. We test those all the time, and it, it, it's an interesting hypothesis. Hypothesis. It's you know just like there's definitely uh, there are definitely different types of users out there, but what it's significantly harder to find them because you're targeting these like super broad audiences. So you cannot really do proper creative segmentation. We had a lot of uh, conversations about this at, at Network, basically just trying to figure out, hey, can we find people who love tattoos and I don't know, comic books 
and build a creative right. that targets just those. Okay. So that was possible in the old UA days. You know, you just find an audience, create a, a create a, an ad that appeals to the particular audience, and try to increase the conversion rate that way. But that's not really the case anymore, or in, not in my experience. Just because you have to target broader audiences, right, so right. this like interest and keyword type targeting doesn't necessarily work that well right. for gaming. E-commerce might be different though, and well, DK. Well, might yeah, DraftKings well. for us like um, it's it's weird, right? Because you have so many different sports with so many different events, and sometimes yeah. the event only happens for a very specific time, and then you have to pair on like a when do our contest start, or when can yeah. you actually start betting for a sports book uh, vertical, and. Sometimes you are fooled into wanting to get super granular with your creative, and and sometimes that might not work well. It's too small of an audience; it's not mm -hmm. going to work, and you're not going to get any significance out of it. But you also don't want to go way too broad and just launch evergreen everywhere. So that's a very interesting balance, I would say, when I first came to DraftKings, and I was like, "Whoa, like this is really." But it's it's also a little different for you guys because you're. Your content is coming from like real, uh, real world event, yeah. events. So you have players and teams and people following those, and then you can actually do interesting keyword targeting because it's a very precise, narrow targeting. But at the same time, it's big enough. Like because I don't know how many people follow. So I, I wouldn't I know, know about the big, search big aspect. Um, football players. I, yeah. I would have to agree with you, but um, yeah. with regard at least on the programmatic aspect of it. Um, you're right, you know, we, yeah. we have the luxury of being able to leverage with this like real world content, but like what works within that realm? Like yeah. we also are competing, we have competitors in the space yeah. like who have certain partnerships, right? So for example, DraftKings, uh, we have a exclusive partnership with NFL. So that's IP we use. How yeah. are we gonna test that IP against our other creatives? Yeah. Um, how do we value that, you know, partnership? Right. So these are the questions that we're internally asking ourselves and we're trying to figure out. Yeah. So maybe we could shift over to that aspect. So now we kind of understand, you know, the importance of creatives, how do we source ideas, but then how do we measure those ideas? Like, can you guys talk about what are some of the key metrics that you guys focus on to measure the performance or the effectiveness of, of creatives? And how do you guys generally think about that? We, we break it down into two different kind of segments, like front end and back end. Mm -hmm. Front end is basically how well the creative converts on the network side of things. Yeah. Uh, where we look at IPM installs per thousand impressions. Yeah. Um, uh, some people call it ITI, like impression to install ratio. And then after after the user installs the uh, the game, then we're looking at like ROS basically and engagement. Uh, the reason why you have to look at both is because you have a lot of uh, recently we saw like a lot of examples like Lily's Garden and yeah. uh, I don't know Mansion to Mansion ads, a lot yeah. of misleading ads. Uh, and they don't simply work for hardcore games right. because the retention is just terrible and the users don't stick around, but they potentially work for more casual games that have right. casual onboarding there for everyone. And you have to look at both, like retention and ROS and, right. you know. And just, just for our audience, just explain that a bit more. When, so when, you, when you're talking about front-end metrics, you mean like the top of the funnel metrics, yeah. the metrics that measure how well... You know, someone that views an ad will install the game, but then the back end you're talking about, well, you may see a misleading ad, but then yeah. when, when it, because it's misleading, you may just churn out yeah. to your back end, yeah. where like the monetization or the actual performance yeah. in terms of the player is, it could be bad, right? So you're measuring yeah. both. Yeah, if you think about like those restaurants that have like free beer signs, right. and you go like come, you know, get in the restaurant and you realize there's no free beer, right. you leave, right? You want to spend now, money. So. Now, this is, yeah. this is a little bit of a debate that yeah. um, some people in the industry have been having, but I kind of feel that a lot of 
people were only focusing on the, the front end top of funnel metrics because kind of what we've seen is that there were a lot of misleading ads, but then some of those guys have stopped doing that. So I, I kind of feel like maybe they were first focused on the front end and then they realized the performance wasn't quite there. And then when they yeah. started measuring the back end metrics and they realized it didn't perform. Yeah. So there's a little bit less of that. But I, I don't know what you guys think. I think it's probably a result of creative fatigue, actually. Okay. It's like whenever you find something that's working, it's working for a <laughs> month and then you're pretty much fucked. I, okay. I mean, in, in lack of better words. And that, that's what we try to like to, to solve with some uh, technological solutions. Yeah. But creative fatigue is a big problem. So you come up with this cool concept, we're going to mislead people, and then pretty much everyone sees one of those ads, yeah. all the people who play games, and then yeah. after that, they don't work anymore. Right. So you have to come up with a new misleading concept or, you know, some gruesome ads or, you know, <laughs> Lily's Garden type of ads where, you know... Um, to make it sound like we're, uh, yeah. we're, we're so but, black hat. But um, I, I think for, for, for us... Um, <clears throat> Or at least for for my team, uh, oftentimes we can't. You know, you, you you mentioned earlier like IPM is like the metric that the industry measures creative performance. Um, but also don't get blind or don't get too narrow sighted with just IPM, right? So for yeah. example, when we look at our creatives, we could have one dynamic creative that has like much higher, like double the IPM and something else. But at the end of the day, it doesn't produce the result that in the back end right. it doesn't really really matter. Yeah. So we have to balance. Okay. This one, something is causing an IP, uh, the IPM to be so high, but how can we make sure that those people that come in are actually driving uh, the performance that we want? Is it the targeting? Is it the, uh, maybe you're showing the right ad to the, uh, to the right audience, but for the wrong reasons. I don't know. Yeah. But just making sure that like, those things marry is very important because IPM doesn't account for cost. And if your IPMs are high, but your CPMs are insane, like, it yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah, that happens. Uh, yeah, what, one more thing uh, that, that kind of speaks about the same thing is that you s sometimes certain creative, creatives unlock certain inventory. Like, if you have, like, really good video creative and you start seeing more YouTube impressions, yeah. then the quality of traffic might be significantly different. Right. And at the same time, the CPM might be low. But, significantly lower and then just you know the CPI would go down. So you also need to understand where the ad is being served to do placement level optimizations. Right. And so figure out you know whether it's being served on rewarded video. If it's if it's served on Facebook, um, because a big part of their inventory right now is uh, audience network. Okay. So it sounds like um, front end we're yeah. kind of agreeing IPM yeah. seems to be like the the, the most popular metric. Yeah. Um, and then we had a conversation before talking that, yeah. but some companies like hyper casual game companies will only look at CTR. And the yeah. difference between CTR and IPM is that CTR is the click through on the ad, whereas IPM will actually uh, measure through to the install, right? Yeah. So why do you guys think that the hyper casual guys uh, <clears throat> only care about CTR relative to IPM or IR install rate? That's that's a different that's a different uh, type of games for like again for hardcore misleading ads don't necessarily work for yeah. hyper casual they probably do, and the reason why so my theory is that ca hyper casual games are commodities yeah so they are just finding ways to convert uh, to convert users in the cheapest possible way so and it's likely that for the types of campaigns they're doing, click rate is the most important factor. Yeah. So the higher the click rate, the more reach you get and the lower you, the cost uh, ends up being. Right. So that's why they're like uh, over-indexing on click rate. They don't necessarily worry about click to install because the games are super casual. Uh, they're probably not, the, the clients are probably not that 
that big. It's probably like 50 to 100 megabytes. Right. So there's very little friction after the, the click. Okay. I, I, I haven't done any, any UA for hyper-casual games, so it's like really hard for me to say whether <laughs> that's really the case. But the way I see it, it, it's all about the content, and if they find the right content, uh, the click rate is a great indicator. And then they'll be able to kind of scale them successfully. I'm, I personally am not familiar with the marketing of hyper casual, and that's why, like before we even started the session, um, I asked, "Is like, wait, why would they only look at click Because I didn't, I was like, I didn't understand it. But I think Joe, you had a good answer. You said that um, they uh, most a lot from your conversations with hyper casual companies, they believe that they can manage the app store aspect of it, so they're completely separating the ad and the app store as in. Two different uh, experiences. Yeah, uh, and I, th I thought that's kind of interesting because, like, I, I'm in, a, in an industry where I can't think of it like that. I have to think about right. it all the way through. Right. Yeah. So it's very interesting. Where I'm like, okay, if, if there's something drives a very very high click through rate, yeah. uh, that using that as a metric success yeah, it, to me, that's a very yeah. It's concept. almost like the guys who are like, we're only going to look at retention because if the retention of a game is good, we can figure out monetization. The hyper casual guy yeah. like. If we can figure out a good click-through rate, we yeah. could figure out how to manage the app store. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Their, their goal is just to drive the cost down to like five, ten cents, the, the lowest possible amount. And then I think click-through click rate is a good indicator. Which makes sense because like, you know, they're very ad monetized driven apps. Um, yeah. So uh, you really, their art bow is probably yeah. what, anywhere between like five cents to like no more than 50 cents. So like, it makes sense for them to have to try at the lowest yeah. cost. There's one more example that I'll, I'll mention. I think we talked about it in the past as well, and I'll stop here. It's a, it's you probably saw a bunch of wish ads, wish the shopping app uh, okay. with like cheap stuff and really weird stuff. Uh, they sell I don't know plastic worms, and and I I get those ads all the time. And I think the sole reason why I'm seeing those really awkward ads is because they have a really high click rate and they make you, you know, pause and like you know, look at the ad and click on the ad. So Facebook is trying to optimize using the earliest signal possible uh, in this case. And mm -hmm. I think that's why click rate is, is very important for this type of products. Right. But again, they're selling commodities, so it's no different with games. Right. That, that's my uh, high level theory. And then back end metrics. I think the problem with back end mm -hmm. metrics is like, so, Sure, we can uh, we can easily find the front end metrics for creatives uh, because we we get that feedback instantly. But like, yeah. let's say we're trying to find LTV against a creative, yeah, you know, and that could take you know some some games have three year payback period, right? Yeah. So yeah. like, how can we? Do you how, how do you what kind of back end metrics are are you guys looking at? Is it like a DX ARPU or DX ROAS goal or like what 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 do you guys for creatives? Yeah. Um, I mean, we do. We we're we have a creative level spend as well, so we can look at ROI, and we're always trying to understand when is the money coming back. So yeah. the payback is the the, the ultimate uh, KPI, yeah. and then all the other KPIs are there just to like support the payback or to tell us when the money is coming back. So we we look at for casual creatives that are not necessarily they have a high IPM, but like uh, high IPM, low cost, low quality. We look at things like cost per retained user, like day, day X retained user or, mm -hmm. or day XRI or right. cost per day X payer. Just trying to understand whether the fact we're lowering the cost and like making the funnel a little broader actually has impact on user quality okay. and the cost of uh, payers. So basically we look at, you know, retention uh, cost per 
per user per payer. But then uh, if you are looking at DXRI, you're yeah. kind of assuming that the uh, monetization profile of the players coming in are going to be roughly similar, right? Uh, no, not really, actually. I mean, that's, 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 if you have a more casual creative and the cost is significantly lower, you're kind of expecting that the quality of those players is going to be worse because they're not, it's you know if 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 you people who know games like Legendary and they come right. to play the game they're but in terms of the retained user the user you keep you're you're assuming that user is going to be uh, of the same quality right right uh, not not necessarily okay okay because if you you know if if you, the the older the game gets the more casual your creative becomes uh -huh. and then the quality of those users is not necessarily as good okay. as the quality of your uh, okay. golden cohorts okay uh, and then you kind of have to understand what's how those two uh, uh, perform together. I kind of think that's very game and industry specific too, right? Probably, uh, yeah. When, when we're doing slots like at Play Studios, we try to, to find out like, oh, which which ad drove the most ROAS by a certain day. And, yeah. like, and after a while, we're like, there's no consistency, right? <laughs> there could, there, yeah. there, there have to be, right? So we would show something, we're like going in thinking, oh, this is going to be bomb, and all yeah. of a sudden like, it's like it drives the best ROAS for some reason. We don't know why, but then yeah. again, like um, we have, I, I, I kind of feel like it, it, it doesn't. There's ni neither a rhyme or nor reason behind it. Yeah. Um, so that's why earlier I made the statement like you really have to balance the IPM and the back, the front end and the back end because like if if you're very driven, it's like okay, I only want to create creatives that can drive high ROAS. Like you might never find a winning ad. Um, yeah. and, and to your point about like, oh, do you want to go the opposite direction where do you want to drive a ton of click through showing like weird stuff to get people to linger? Um, that might work for certain yeah. industries, but it might not work for like yeah. gaming or something yeah. like that. So it's very specific to what you're trying to market, where you're trying to market and, and, and the, 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 the very, like, I guess, uh, cliche thing, the thing you say is like, um, there's no right or wrong. Yeah. Um, and anything, everything can be possible and you have to just, uh, you as a marketer of whatever product you are, you just have to understand that flow in the product and yeah. come up with something that works. Yeah. So I thought we could wrap up the conversation by just talking about tools. So like, you know, we, we talked about sensor tower in terms of saying competitive, um, you know, uh, competitive ads, but are there other tools that you guys would recommend to like help you in this process of optimizing creatives? Uh, we have an internally built tool called Draper, uh, which helps us create uh, multiple variations of existing creatives yeah. and extend the kind of lifetime of, of a creative concept that way. Um, uh, I'm not really, uh, there's a lot of uh, kind of creative intelligence tools such as uh, Sensor Tower and, uh, uh, and Epenny, um, especially on desktop. There's Moat, there's uh, Wolf Runs Wear, uh, there's like a few more, I forgot their names. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. There's a lot of creative templates, like for for companies that are looking to kind of uh, prototype things and make a lot of ads. Uh, you can just use one of those Envato websites where you can download concepts and just like uh, you know change the gameplay and and, and gameplay and character art and uh, churn out like a lot of creatives easily. Um, yeah, maybe we should bring some of them. Our creative <laughs> I know there's there's also Bedalgo, right? I yep. mean, they've got that tool where you can kind of track uh, specific metrics mm -hmm. against their um, creatives. And then they've yeah. got some machine learning that tries to isolate creative elements within, yeah. uh, within the ads. But um, we're, we're trying that as well. It's, it's somewhat manual. Okay. I mean, with machine learning, you can figure out which colors are more dominant, right, right. but it doesn't really tell you where 
whether this particular segment of the video has cards or uh, you know monsters or I don't know. Uh, so I'm I'm always like maybe a skeptic, and and the thing is I I love Badago, I love their team, and but my 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 skepticism comes from like. You know, if it's on Facebook, you know what that background color is. You know the contrast of it yeah. makes sense, right? But what if you're running in the a native or app environment where it's like, oh, is red really a dominant color if the background yeah. of the app is red? You know, I think it's in interesting for us, uh, for marketers, to understand what our competitors are doing. But don't don't feel like you shouldn't go out and take risks and innovate. Trying things that yeah. you, that hasn't. But how, how about like managing all the creatives, tracking performance, like everything I've yeah, seen yeah. has been in hacked up yeah. spreadsheets. Is, is, is there like anything like? And, and I'm Welcome always like, there's got to be a there's got to be a better way. Yeah. In like the you know, and, and then like with these hacked up spreadsheets and these other you know, like you drop stuff into like these you know big file file storage systems and you have to have like specific naming structures and things yeah. like that. Well, didn't Machine Zone <laughs> create some type of creating tagging that was like yeah. built in-house? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of companies said, we, we talked about it last week actually, about how every single company tries to figure out like a create, to solve the creative ID issue. Because <laughs> the problem with, uh, when you, even if you have like a creative naming uh, convention, uh, then you have to pass the, the super long names in the in click URLs, yeah. and that breaks all the time. So you need to, and it's also easier to join data using creative IDs versus yeah. creative names. And then every single company is trying to solve that problem and build like yeah. a creative ID solution. So uh, I think yeah, Machine Zone did that. Um, I talked to someone from LA recently, maybe like uh, maybe Gem City or Scott about the same thing. So like a lot of uh, a lot of people uh, have the same issue, and uh, yeah, it's very messy. And we're working on building something that might be like a SaaS tool in the future okay. that that is going to solve that problem. Um, that seems like a pretty common problem, so that would be a good tool. Yeah. No, no, it is. Like, um, like right right now, I work with a lot of like former MC people, uh, Janie, you know, who leads our group, and, and Cole Dennis, who is the our creative strategist. Uh, Cole specifically was at MC and part of the team that built the creative tracking tool there, so he's trying to do something similar at DraftKings, and you're right, it's so hard. Like, yeah. like you have to, a creative, then you have to like create a creative ID to it, to tag it, and then before yeah. you uh, before you run it, then when you run it, you have to make sure that that ID gets passed back to yeah. our system. And it's such manual work, and like for us, my, like our programmatic team right now is three people. Yeah. In a thousand person company, we're a team of three, and yeah. we're like, and then you have 20, yeah, like, 20 we don't have enough yeah. time to in the day to, to tech all the different creators yeah. that we're running and and realistically like when then that's the, the struggle because not only are is it so manual but it's the volume of work right because everyone you, you talk about creative fatigue like our the pressure to create iterations and new variations is so so high that you're like okay I can do all this tag and do this all this manual work for a creative that might run for a day or, or for like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, for yeah. like the two thousand. It's hard uh, for the marketing creative people. It's really hard to kind of emotionally detach from <laughs> creatives uh, because you have to create like 20, 30 concepts a month, and yeah. it's likely that most of them want to work. So let me ask you this: like, uh, yeah. and, and obviously, Joe, you've worked at like uh, bigger, like NBC, yeah. where it's very IP driven. Have you guys had that like issue where 
you're sitting there and your creative is getting like torn apart because it's not on brand or it's not like like uh matching but then like you're trying to sit there from a performance marketing point of view it's like dude like you i need to really educate you on like what ua is it's not about on brand sometimes but like how do you reconcile that right well i mean i've kind of seen the issue where a creative that's not on brand mm-hmm. actually performs really well but then the ip holder would like freak out and then we have yeah. to kill it so, yeah so that so yeah like it's like i don't care if it works <laughs> i don't care about the data it's not yeah how right. do you reconcile that you know i mean because generally speaking because ip holders have the rights mm. We, we just have to kill the creative or, you know, we have to get their approval first, even for something. So, you know, every once in a while, something will go out in the wild that hasn't been approved and then it gets killed, <laughs> even though it performs well. But then a lot of times we're just trying to get stuff approved. And but if you don't show the ad in LA area, like, you know, <laughs> well, that's, that's where like you don't want to do right. Because like, for example, at DraftKings, like there's a lot of legality around what we can show and what we can't show. It. And like, if we, potentially show an ad or creative that might be perceived as deceiving, we can get sued, right? Yeah, yeah. Because of who we're, so that's where like, it's a very fine line that we have to draw about. Like we want to be aggressive and we want to be innovative and we want to take risks, yeah. but we also have to make sure that whatever we show, it's, it's representative of our product. Right. And I think like, I, I, I like that, you know, I, I and, and I don't like when, you know, you know, when people show a, a, a tower defense playable and get a bunch of clicks and then it turns out the game is nothing like the playable ad. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's a March X, uh, a March battle for X game basically. Yeah. Uh, or a bunch of Chinese developers who, use, <laughs> who actually use that content to, to promote their games that are nothing like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I think we could talk a lot more about creators, but I think, um, yeah, for the first UA coffee talk topic, this this is great. Thanks, thanks a lot, guys. You didn't drink coffee, do uh, Yeah, I, I, I finished mine. So I'm <laughs> yeah. drinking uh, Phil's filtered soul. I like it because it's hazelnut flavor. You guys are going black too. I can't. Yeah. I don't understand that. You guys are crazy. <laughs> I like the very yeah, sugary it's, coffee. It's, it's funny because like my 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 evolution of drinking coffee. I used to like douse my coffee with sugar and milk, yeah. Yeah. and then over time, like. Um, <clears throat> was was that really famous coffee? Is it Green Mountain Coffee, the Jamaican one, or Blue Mountain? I can't remember. The one that's like a hundred dollars for like a pound or something like that. Oh, you were talking about that that the monkeys. No, process. no, no, not that one, not that one. That that's that's next coffee level. Coffee That's yeah. next level. But like, um, I remember uh, someone was uh, had it and I was drinking it and I was asking for cream and sugar. My friend was like, "Dude, John, yeah, well, yeah, blue, yeah, blue yeah. bottle used to sell a seventeen dollar cup of coffee yeah. from Fort Mocha. Oh, they do it all the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, blue so, kind of yeah, a, so then, then <laughs> my friend was like, like club. drink, like drink the coffee so that you could taste the flavor of the coffee. Right, yeah. it's the same idea of like he was trying to equate it to like like when you eat a, right. a very nice cut of steak. Like you don't yeah. need to put." No, growing up, I put ketchup on my steak, you know? Yeah. You're like, you don't need to put ketchup on the steak. Like, oh. eat it for flavor. <laughs> or even, like, when you drink red wine. Like, so he was trying to equate that. So from that, when I drink coffee now, A, I don't want the sugar and the fat yeah. from the milk. But also, there's certain... I've, I've slowly understand and, like, I do taste, like, okay, I like this specific one. Right. I don't like to drink all coffee black, but certain coffees I like yeah. to drink. Black. 
right. Well, we got two coffee connoisseurs here, and you still you've got not one, a connoisseur. One co sugar coffee guy. enthusiast is probably a better <laughs> word. From Europe, coffee is a big part of my culture, so I love coffee. Um, and then I guess yeah. a shout out to Iron Source for yeah, yeah. we're filming here at Iron providing Source. us with the space. Cool. Well, thank and you, JK, show. for providing us coffee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next time we'll find us a coffee sponsor, and that'd be great. That was good. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Thanks.